Welcome to the Decipher Podcast. My guest today is Craig Williams from the Talos uh, research team at Cisco. And we're going to talk about a new report that Talos put out this week on a sea turtle uh, DNS hijacking campaign. It's a pretty extensive and kind of a really terrifying report, honestly. So, um, Craig, thanks so much for your time, man. I really appreciate it. I know this is a busy week for you guys. Oh, yeah, no problem. I mean, you know, this is one of those great opportunities to get out there and get the word out and help people know how to defend against these threats. So we appreciate every opportunity. So let's just kind of start from where you guys picked up on these attacks. How did Talos first come across uh, what you guys ended up calling Sea Turtle? Yeah, so that's a really good question. Uh, so if you remember back last year in November, Cisco Talos was the first one to publish on an actor that we called DNSpionage. Uh, this attacker was responsible for several hijackings of domains in the Middle East. And so naturally, at first, we thought they might be the same actor because we just saw hijackings, right? And if you're, you know, security oriented, you may even notice that some of our IOCs for Sea Turtle line up with some of our competitors' IOCs for DNS espionage. Um, and, you know, when you think about it, if you see domain hijacking and that's all you see, you can completely understand how these could be grouped together by somebody who didn't have as good visibility as we had. You know, one of the ways I was trying to explain it to my wife was, you know, like, imagine you're not a car person, right? You don't know anything about cars. Mm -hmm. uh, well, you look out in a parking lot and you're like, yeah, they're all cars. Well, you know, as you start learning more about cars and figuring out different makes and models and features, all of a sudden you see more groups of cars, right? You can see trucks, you can see sports cars, you can see four wheel drive vehicles. And that's really how our visibility allowed us to distinguish between these two actors that were so similar. And so as we started finding more redirections, we started noticing that one set was different. One set was a lot more stealthy. One set was a lot more sophisticated. And one set was very, very mission-focused on compromising foreign governments, things like Ministry of Defense, uh, nation-state type security services. And so it really stuck out as a different actor with a completely different set of TTPs. And that's the uh, campaign we're now revealing to the world called Sea Turtle. Okay. And so when, you know, as soon as you read, if you're in security and you see a lot of these research reports and these blog posts and you're like, okay, in the first sentence, if I see the word sophisticated or something like that, or, you know, you, a lot of people, you just kind of roll your eyes like, okay, everything is sophisticated. Everything <laughs> is, you know, nation state, everything oh, yeah. is APT, yeah. right? Um, but you guys, you know, laid out a whole bunch of factors in the research report, which I encourage everybody to go read, um, about what makes this attack so sophisticated. And the thing that stuck out to me is they were using a whole bunch of different techniques to do DNS manipulation. It wasn't just one thing. Right. Well, and I think the other major thing is, as far as we're aware, this is the first public disclosure of a registrar compromise. This is the first, you know, basically the first campaign we can attribute it to. And it wasn't just one, it was, you know, a registrar, some CCTLDs, another registrar, then they tried to get back in again from the, uh, the consulting company in Switzerland. So this attacker wasn't just sophisticated, they were brazen and they were tenacious about maintaining that access to carry out their missions. All right, Craig, so maybe we should back up for a second and just kind of talk about what DNS manipulation and DNS hijacking means and, and kind of why these high-level attack groups are, are using this technique? Sure. You know, at a really high level, a, a great simple way to think about it. You know, if you think of a domain registrar, uh, 
is like a phone book, right? Well, what the attacker is doing is they're getting into the registrar to change where the phone book points, right? So they're just basically changing the phone number for somebody's name. Now, obviously, it's much more complex in reality. There's four different ways to do it. But at a high level, what these attackers were doing was compromising the registrar so that they could then update where the domain points so that they would then be able to point it at their server instead of you know the actual target server. And then that name server would then direct the victim to the primary target's clone site, right? Man in the middle of the traffic. Yep. And so the goal for the attackers is to get this traffic to flow to a server that they control. So, and from there, they can do a bunch of different things, right? Like harvest credentials, redirect people to other sites, that kind of stuff. And it looks like in this campaign, what they were doing a lot of was that uh, credential harvesting, like setting up fake, uh, they were using uh, certificate impersonation to set up fake services to grab all these credentials. Is that something that you guys have seen other attack groups do before? Espionage did it to a much more limited extent, and they would actually compromise a name server, which made it a little bit more loud. Um, they also had some problems with their malware. So it's, you know, we have seen it, but not to this sophistication. You know, what was really interesting about the way that these guys did this was, you know, by going after the registrar, the actual primary target never even sees any of the traffic, right? They don't even have a good way to know that they've been targeted. Yeah, which is kind of terrifying if you're one of these organizations. Like you may, you would have no idea that you've been hit by this kind of thing until, uh, you know, maybe you see some uh, blowback from some other outside source or a research group like you guys comes and tells them. Right. And, you know, that's what we've been doing. You know, we alerted everyone when we were aware of this. We reached out to the affected organizations and let them know, hey, you know, we believe your domain's been hijacked. Here's when, here's what we think the, you know, the duration of the attack was. Um, but when you really think about it, right, if you get credentials for potentially sites that hold state secrets, right, the keys to the kingdom, mm -hmm. this is an espionage attack that likely has really not been paralleled success-wise. You know, and you got to think back too, though, right? Like, you know, what are common mistakes that users make? I would say the number one is password reuse, right? Yeah. And, you know, and like, how many people do we know have two-factor authentication set up? It's not enough. No, you know? not enough. Yeah, of course. And, and people always complain, oh, multi-factor authentication is not a magic bullet. And, you know, I'm, I'm completely aware it's not a magic bullet. But if everyone turned on two-factor authentication or multi-factor authentication today, the world would be a safer place than it was yesterday. Yeah, without a doubt, because even if you do reuse uh, credentials, the multi-factor sitting in front of that prevents you know an attacker from being able to use those credentials on multiple sites and that kind of stuff. So um, it certainly would help in a lot of cases. Um, when I know you don't want to probably get into too much detail, but when you guys have been going out and um, you know notifying the uh, victims of this. Was there any awareness on their part that any of this was going on? So, you know, a couple of the sites were aware because, um, so when this happened, right, this happened right after DNSPionage, you know, Cisco Talos was the first one to see it back in November. And months later, some of our competitors posted about it in January. Mm -hmm. And they actually confused some of these IOCs, right? I mean, if you think about it, it makes sense, right? If you have limited visibility and you see DNS hijacking, well, DNS hijacking looks like DNS hijacking. Yeah. Um, 
but you know, given our ability to look deeper into the data, we were actually able to determine different sets of TTPs, different sets of activities, and definitively say, no, these are two separate actors. Here's what actor A is doing. Here's what actor B is doing. Um, and so, you know, that tipped the attackers off effectively. And so that gets us to a much more concerning point, right? So think about it. You're these attackers. You're breaking into these foreign government you know, sites. You're stealing their VPN credentials. You're stealing their users and their password. And all of a sudden, a security company publishes an article, and they basically blame your competition, right? I mean, let's assume bad guys have competition. <laughs> sure. Right? That's, that's a thing. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, like they say, oh, no, it wasn't A, it was B. Well, you know, normally, I would say, Nine out of 10 nation state actors, I think probably all of them that I could think of, would immediately say, whoa, hey, that's awesome. Turn on stealth mode. They got blamed. Let's step back. You know, we're going to change up our TTPs and get away with it free, right? They were effectively given a get out of jail free card. Yeah. You know, but the, the crazy part, the sea turtle actors, they didn't care. They didn't stop. They didn't slow down. They just carried on business as usual. So that, you know, yeah, that kind of tells you that these guys are not only very capable, but as you guys said, very brazen, not, I don't know, arrogant maybe isn't the right word, but they're very confident in their abilities and don't seem to care too much about the consequences. Unfortunately, you know, this is a trend we've seen um, with nation states attacking each other effectively not playing well with others, right? I think the first very clear escalation was the NotPetya campaign against Ukraine, right? Oh, yeah. the, I mean, it was like effectively the version of digital carpet bombing of a civilian population for political purposes. You know, it shut down government, infrastructure, healthcare, everything, right? And so what was the result of that? Well, not, not a lot. You know, yeah. shortly after that, Olympic Destroyer happened. Right again, an attack against really a civilian thing for political purposes. And so I think, you know, what we're seeing here, there's no line in the sand, right? No one has said, look, this is off limits, right? Like there, you don't wipe civilian targets. You don't damage the DNS infrastructure of the world, right? I mean, if you have people doubting when they go to the website to pay their bills that they're actually at the right website, that's going to have some economic impact at some point. Yeah. And so, For you know, sure. I, I don't know what we do about it, right? It's like these countries are messing with each other right up to the brink of where, you know, somebody might seriously consider some kinetic action. Which is horrifying to think about, you know, if you're talking about espionage activity, which, you know, traditionally up until the last, you know, let's say 15 years has been in the physical world, you know, actual spies going and doing spy stuff. But, and th there are, you know, well-established rules in that world that sometimes get um, violated, but for the most part, people know what those rules are. You know, intelligence officers know how to operate. But in this world, you've got a completely undefined set of rules if there are any. You know, one, <laughs> some nations might have one set of rules and other nations might not have any. Yeah, and so what we see are these campaigns from different nation states just pretty much escalating the situation. And so that's that's why when we see this type of attack, we want to make sure that not only do we explain to people how it works, how to defend against it, but that we make sure that we highlight why this is unacceptable behavior. 
why countries need to come together and come to terms with these things and have, you know, a list of things that we shouldn't do to each other. Uh, you know, there should be things that are off limits. I want, I've, you know, there's been talk in the past for some kind of, you know, Geneva convention for, I, but it's mostly been in terms of like cyber warfare, which in general, you know, goes along with, with kinetic warfare, but this kind of activity, I don't know how you would ever establish some sort of, you know, framework for, you know, <laughs> quote unquote, good behavior. Well, and that's, you know, one of the biggest problems, right? No one on the internet has a uniform, right? Yeah. You know, in, in, in two minutes, I can be somebody else, right? I can be in a different country. I can proxy my traffic through my enemies. Uh, it's really easy to plant false flags and mislead people who are trying to, you know, pursue you. Right. Yep. And that's the, the false flag portion of it is something that we saw in a lot of those um, attacks that you mentioned earlier, you know, the Olympic destroyer, not Pedia. There were all kinds of attribution uh, claims being thrown around. And, you know, if, if the operators are good at what they do, it's fairly simple for them to throw people off their track, I would imagine. Oh, absolutely. You know, I think Olympic destroyer was really, uh, you know, jumping the shark, right? I mean, they had parts of four different APT code in there. They, they <laughs> embedded the login and password inside of the binary, right? To make it look like they had previously compromised it. So like, it almost seemed like the side goal of Olympic Destroyer was to make the security research community look foolish. Yeah, which, you know, some people certainly took that bait. Um, so you mentioned that, that the sea turtle attackers haven't really backed off um, since the people began publishing about DN espionage. Do you expect them, I know it's super early in this whole process, but would you expect them to back off at this point? I hope so, right? I, I think by getting the word out there and showing these regions how they're doing this and how to defend against it, we're going to limit their success and hopefully they'll find a new hobby. Now, do I think that means they're going to stop committing crime against other nations? I doubt it. But hopefully at least we can stop it from going through the registrars which is really undermining the fundamental trust that everyone has in DNS that makes the internet and all these great things we have work. Yeah. That, that trust factor, which um, you guys mentioned, you know, several times in the, in the research report, I think is a, a real big key to it because, you know, the, the way that the DNS system works and DNS hijacking works in general is pretty well understood in the security community, even though it's, kind of difficult to defend against for all the reasons that you guys laid out because there's so many different ways to execute those kind of attacks and you know if somebody gives up their credentials by accident or on purpose then what can you do but the idea that this foundational protocol of the internet can't really be trusted is really problematic and i you know the general population certainly has no idea or very little idea that that's a problem but it's well understood in the security community. I just, I'm just not sure what else, you know, how much can be done about it on, you know, without getting tons of nations involved in rebuilding the internet. Well, but if we step back and look at what was step one, right? Step one for these attackers was using public conventionally known attacks uh, combined with phishing against the registrars. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I think this isn't like a, the world is ending problem. This is a, we know what we should have done. We didn't do it. And so of course we were targeted. Right. And so I'm not saying that like, if you patched and if you 
didn't fall for spearfishing, these actors wouldn't have found a way in. But until we cover those minimum bars, you know, I don't think we have any chance of safety. Yeah. Is it, we're better off trying to make life as difficult as possible for these folks, even though they're, you know, obviously highly capable and very well funded and have a lot of resources at their disposal. If we don't make it easy for them, we have a better chance of survival. Right. And so that, that's a good point. Cause a lot of people think, Oh, nation state attacks. So how many zero days did they use? Yeah. And it's like, no, none like nation states don't need to use zero days, right? They'll find Derek and accounting who clicks on every word document. Right. You know, like yep. people continuously underestimate that. And so I think, you know, there are obvious easy fixes, right? Patching the user is hard, right? But we can roll out patches for word. We can segment people's computers who continuously fail security training, mm -hmm. right? We can make sure that we have visibility on the end host through something, you know, like an antivirus product like AMP. And we can make sure that we have two-factor authentication rolled out to everybody. I mean, I would bet, I would bet that like, I don't know, 70% of people in the United States use two-factor authentication already, you know, for their bank, their Facebook, their Twitter, something. Mm -hmm. So this is something people know, right? They know how to use it. They use it every day, right? They log into Facebook from their parents' house. Up, oh, you know, two-factor, type in the numbers we just texted you. Yeah, this is easy. People know this. So rolling this out, low overhead, it's not very expensive, and it provides that one extra step that's really hard for the attackers to do. Yeah, it's an excellent point. Um, and I know we've been talking a lot about nation states and that false flag portion of it. And you guys were very careful not to, you know, point any fingers or any attribution in the post. Um, but do you think that given what you guys know, the, uh, the victim organizations in this case has an idea who, who was coming after them? You know, they might, you know, I don't, I don't really have any way to definitively say yes or no to that, but okay. I think what we can say is we've seen so many attacks focused on these areas, more than one group of people are aware that that region has a problem security wise. Right. And, and, you know, if you look at the CVEs that they're using, they're not new, they're old. Yeah. Right. And if you look at the methods they're using, they're not new, they're old, right? What they're doing is they're taking known techniques and known tools and using them in a very creative way and putting them together in a creative way that we really haven't seen before. Yeah. And that's, that's, as you mentioned, a pretty, uh, a pretty challenging problem for everybody involved because there's not any, you know, single technique you can kind of point to and be like, well, if we defend against this, we're in good shape. There's just a, it's a kind of a grab bag of things that they're using to uh, pretty good effect. Well, and I think that's the problem when you go against nation state actors, right? You know, yeah. Yeah. nation state actors are being paid to do what they're doing, right? They're not going to spend two seconds auditing you. They're going to sit down and carefully think about, okay, what are the vantage points? All right. What have they done? Right. Right. What have they missed? Are their users using the same password that they use on Facebook? Right. Let's send out some Facebook phishing emails and find out. And so the, the problem you run into is that they can be very thorough finding weaknesses. And so, you know, I, I think it's the same thing that a company would have to do. Right. Know your weaknesses, figure out how to mitigate them. If you can't patch, well, have a mitigation strategy in place, maybe like an IPS or a firewall or have that box segmented off to nothing. Right. Yeah, the more the more barriers you can put in place to try and trip them up or slow them down, the the better off we are, I think. Yeah, exactly. You know, people people laugh at the Cisco security sales folks and they're like, Oh, you said defense in depth again. 
and I get it. It's funny. They say it too much, uh, you know, but like, you know, the reality is it's just like having multiple locks in your door, right? If you have three locks in your door and somebody figures out how to pick one, or maybe it breaks, or maybe you forgot to set it correctly. Well, there's two more, right? And so that's really what that means. So have layers of security. And that way, if the attackers do find a hole, don't worry, you've got a whole nother layer they have to work through. Right. All right, Craig, listen, man, I appreciate your time. I know it was a super busy day for you uh, across the board. So I appreciate you uh, taking 20 minutes to to uh, give us the scoop on this, man. It was really, really cool research and good work by you guys. Oh, thanks. Yeah, we work hard. To shout out to the team that worked on it. I want to make sure that we give everybody uh, a kudos for it. So, uh, you know, Danny, Warren, Paul, David, Matt, good job, guys. Yeah, nice work. And uh, I'm sure there'll be more to come on this. So everybody stay tuned. All right, Craig, thanks a lot, man. And I'll talk to you soon. No problem. Thanks for inviting me.